This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust. You are listening to our podcast about land, water, culture, and conservation in northern New Mexico. Today we're going to talk about the core job of the Taos Land Trust, which is conservation easements, the core mission of the Taos Land Trust, which is protecting land and water through the use of conservation easements. And we get a lot of questions about conservation easements, what they are, how they work, and are particular people eligible for them. So... We wanted to dive in really deeply today, take the full hour of this radio show to talk specifically about conservation easements. And to do that, we're going to have... I'm Christine Ortez, the Executive Director of the Taos Land Trust, and I've been uh, working at the Trust now for nearly six years, which I also will say is I started the Land Trust uh, just a few months after my second daughter was born. So I always think of the Land Trust as being in kindergarten now, even though it's a 30-year-old organization. And I don't mean to belittle the Land Trust. I'm just saying, just third, in my mind, this is how I think about it. Sometimes when we have uh, all, all of all of the people and the crews and everything at the office, it feels a little bit like kindergarten. <laughs> right, it does. We also have Maya Anthony. Stewardship Coordinator with Taos Land Trust. So I've been with the Land Trust... Um, various times for a couple of years now and um, looking at just maintaining the stewardship program, making sure that um, people get the information they need. And I also do work with just different programming and outreach around some of the different programs. All right. Let's dive into conservation easements. Well, let me tell you the story of how we, we came to be the Taos Land Trust. Over 30 years ago, a group of folks got together to protect a piece of land, uh, a, cu- a couple of iconic pieces of land in El Prado. Uh, as you're driving north on the main road toward the blinking light, you'll see those pastures right in front of the mountain. Right? And those were threatened for development. Houses, gas stations, various types of development. And some folks got together and they try to figure out ways to protect that land or to buy that land. And, you know, the, that land is costly, especially land with water rights. So these folks got together and used this this tool um, that has existed for a while called a conservation easement. It's a legal document uh, that is um, an agreement between a landowner and a participating entity, like a, a nonprofit or sometimes a municipality, that uh, restricts the development rights of, of a parcel. It allows certain things, but does not allow really some really big things, which is the, the biggest thing is uh, subdivision. So subdividing that land into, into littler parcels. And they, uh, they created the, the land trust as an organization that could hold that easement and, and protect that piece of land and other lands like it. So those parcels now that we see, you know, those pieces of land along the main road there to the east, that beautiful landscape. Sometimes you see cows grazing. Uh, sometimes you see tall grasses. But what you don't see are a lot of buildings. And that's, that's the beginning of the legacy of the land trust. That view shed towards Taos Mountain mm-hmm. and towards the Ski Valley and, and yeah. El Salto is, is perhaps the iconic right. view shed and image that people have of Taos 
when they think of coming here, isn't it? Right. And I've seen a ton of, you know, we see a ton of people all the time, you know, parked out in front of that fence, you know, taking photos, sometimes probably also removing our signs or shooting at the signs as folks do sometimes in Taos. Well, it's it's kind, of, <laughs> so kind of fun. We, we, uh, we just buy more signs and put them up. Uh, but the, the, that is so iconic. It is what gives, it's what gives me peace when I miss the bus and have to take the kids to school. Uh, it, it's what gives a lot of folks that feeling of um, of the vastness of the West, of the the beauty of this landscape. Um, it is also really importantly because we've restricted the development rights on a couple of those parcels out there. There are a number of them, five. Um, we have the, those water rights there staying with the land. The water stays on the really, land. Really, really important with conservation easements. This tool, which will go into greater detail, you know, really allows us to protect the water, leaves it with the land. It's, there's a term for it called appurtenant. So the land, the water rights stay with the land um, because that is what actually gives that land that value. And it's what gives ultimately the donation of the conservation easement, the donation of the development rights. When we put a, con a, a put land under conservation easement, the, the landowner very, very generously donates their development rights to the land trust. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of those details are yeah, what yeah, I want to dive in. Yes. But, but it's, it's great to highlight these... Um, um, these magnificent pieces of land that we all think of as part of Taos and that we can't live without Taos. What are what are a couple others? I'm thinking of the the Overlook. I think it's good to kind of get yeah. people oriented to some of the lands that are protected using conservation easements. To totally. You know, we, we've got overall, the Taos Land Trust has protected more than 25,000 acres uh, of land in um in northern New Mexico. All of that land at one point was, you know, was or still is remaining private land. So owned by individuals, families. Uh, our biggest projects before my time um, were um, the protection of Ute Mountain, which is now part of the Rio Grande del Norte National Monument, and the Overlook down, you know, at the southern part of the monument. Those two parcels were, you know, belonged to private landowners for a very, very long time. And so the land trust was part of this, you know, this transaction to protect that land uh, so, you know, conservation easement was put on, on the land, and then that land was then, uh, through the Trust for Public Land, uh, don't eventually purchased by the federal government under the, the LWC, the land, water conservation, land and Water Conservation Fund, which just most recently passed again, uh, just a few months ago. Uh, right. Yeah, but there was some yeah. action on it just the other day, actually, oh, too. So, yes. <laughs> um, and I can't keep up. Um, but so again, you know, we're talking on the north side of town. Yeah. We're talking about the pastures that that look towards Taos right. Mountain as iconic, and then on the south end of town, you know, so everybody in Taos talks about how you when you go out of town and then you come home, you come right. over the rise from the horseshoe and you see that view and right. you're like, ah, I'm home. That view is there that because view. of a conservation easement. And, and because of a private land donation, right? Uh, which is now part of our magnificent national monument system. So we talk about those two really iconic uh, spots. Uh, Maya, what about um, a uh, something that maybe is, isn't, so iconic view wise, but is equally as important. Yeah. So, um, we have so many of the, they're, they're smaller, um, but no less important in the larger picture of 
conservation and making this model of conservation work for families, especially that in New Mexico and in Taos, especially just the really classic and devastating tale of families having to parcel off pieces of land where aging elders can't take care of the land the same ways. Maybe young people are moving to the city. Um, And so, yeah, these little parcels get smaller and smaller, less useful for agricultural production. Um, So again, the importance with not being able to subdivide a conservation easement really helps keep family lands in production. So can you give us an example of one or two? Yeah. So there's, um, there's a couple in San Cristobal, some in Arroyo Seco. There's, there's a a handful of them. Well, you know, in, in, in San Cristobal in particular, there's a parcel that is really important to you. We're not going to name any names because part of the process is that, you know, we, we do, you know, unless the landowner wants to talk about it and reveal um, you know that that information. We, you know we th- these are these are private private transactions that have public benefit. Mm-hmm. But there, there's you know that one in San Cristobal, which is you know yeah. important to your your yeah. life and your story. Yeah, absolutely. I was born and raised in Taos and grew up most of my life in San Cristobal. So um, yeah, being able to take walks and and see a piece of land that will always be protected, but will have certain uses that the landowner works with the Taos Land Trust to make sure that it fits their needs. Um, you know, it's not just like putting something in a museum exhibit. It's it's making something work and be useful to both people, wildlife, um, just general view sheds, as well as agricultural production. Um, That's so important that we're not we're not encasing the land in plexiglass and putting it away for only those who have money to see it. That's not what what this is. Um, while there are places that we've worked on um, that are hard to get to or may not allow public access, like the you know couple you know there's some several hundred acres in Colfax County uh, owned by a couple different uh, property owners that that are protected forever th- under a conservation easement. Though those those parcels have real you know high like high benefit for for habitat. Um, you know, for the critters and the watersheds, that's really, really important. You don't really see that land. Uh, and But there's still public benefit there. Um, but I think what's really important is that th- there are lands that are under conservation easement that uh, both have that public benefit and also benefit um, the, you know, the landowner can still do the things that 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 family wants to do. You know, in in the case of this parcel in San Cristobal, there's farming and ranching happening very actively, right? And and that's and that's so important. That's not something that we restrict um, your ability to to grow what you need to grow, uh, or you know, have the the water and you know, growing the grass to feed your animals. That is that is something that we encourage. Um, we we um, we really want our landowners to use the land in the best possible way, and and oftentimes that is for agriculture. That is to produce food, and to produce um, you know grass for for animals. That's really really important to us. So, what is then a conservation easement specifically? We've we've given now some examples, and we've talked about a little bit how uh, of what it restricts and yep. what it allows. But what is it exactly? Well, it's it's a a, a legal document 
that uh, sets restrictions uh, and, uh, and and allowable activities on a parcel of land. And what happens when you set when you use this legal tool, conservation easement deed, is that the landowner and the the land trust or the the entity it could be a land trust, it could be another type of nonprofit, but typically it's a land trust um, because land trusts know how to craft these kinds of legal documents with lawyers. The landowner and the land trust each use um, a legal team to uh, to create this document that works for both of us. So the document, um, you know, has all of the restricted rights and the reserved rights. These are the rights that allow a landowner to do the things it needs to do. Um, for instance, um, there, if they'd like to retain a part of that land that they can build on, um, that's you know, that's something that we, you know, we agree on uh, and, and they can do that. We put that in the document itself. You know, you can build a house that's 2,000 square feet. Um, there are some height restrictions and fencing restrictions and things like that. Um, but you can do that, which is really, really important because this document is, uh, and this really does kind of scare people sometimes, this document is forever. This document is recorded at the county and it is to be to be used in perpetuity. It um, it restricts the 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 development on land in perpetuity. Uh, you again, you are allowed to do certain things um, within the conservation easement. You can build within a building envelope. Um, you you can have some roads, but roads are limited. Uh, we have to be really careful about that. You know the the purpose of this is to protect the landscape the watershed, the water rights, um, protect the, um, the agricultural values and conservation values, which include, you know, um, the land for habitat, for growing food, uh, for, um, for retaining water, you know, protecting a, a riparian area or wetland that might be in that land. Um, we want to protect those values, those conservation values, which have public benefit, according to the state of New Mexico and the federal government forever. So that deed, that conservation easement deed is recorded at the county. And as a land trust, we then have the role of monitoring um, that easement, the, um, the, the, the agreement that we put in place that we recorded at the county, uh, we have to monitor forever. So it's it it is a little odd for people, I think, to to, to think about. Okay, you you own a piece of land; it's a private piece of land, but you're giving up part of your rights on that land. Correct? Like that's how how where does that come from? How is that possible? I, I guess I'm kind of asking, where does this idea of does conservation come <laughs> easements come from? Where where how, how, what is this based on? Well, that's a very deep question. It feels pretty early to answer that, but I will say this. <laughs> didn't have enough coffee. This <laughs> I didn't morning. have enough coffee this morning. Not nearly enough. Um, the The idea of a land trust is an old one. Um, the The concept of keeping a land in trust is dates back to Roman times. Um, there were folks in England in the you know. 1500s and 1600s that that did this to really restrict um, knowledge about who owned land and the value of it from the king um, because if you own land you have cert you had certain obligations right. uh, you could be drafted into military service I 
believe they probably drafted folks anyway for that. Um, and you had other obligations. But so so the idea of using a trust to um, sort of protect or in some cases hide the value of land kind of, you know, did to come over to the pond and was retranslated in, in, in the U S the, the first land trust was, was adopted and was created in 1891. Um, and that, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been going on for, for a while, but the idea and the concept of the sort of the modern land trust, how we operate using this legal tool to restrict your development rights and then getting some benefit as a landowner, you get benefit. Right. We'll talk about that in a a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, But that is actually a central element. Component right. of of conservation easements is that if you restrict your development rights, you get some kind of you know financial fiscal benefit. Right. Right. So so with yeah. a conservation easement, you retain the ownership of the land, right. while or while agreeing to not develop the or 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 subdivide the mm-hmm. rest of that piece of right. land. Right. 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 And you get financial benefit. And you from get that. financial benefit to, from right. that, which we'll talk about in a minute. Hi. This is Christine Ortez, the executive director of the Taos Land Trust. We know you love land. We do too. We want to protect more of it, but we need your help. Please donate at tauslandtrust.org slash donate. Thanks. I'm here with Christina Ortez, the executive director of the Taos Land Trust, and Maya Anthony, the conservation easement stewardship coordinator. I got that right. That's right. Sweet. I just, I want to address the sort of, you know, the, the history of the nefariousness of land trusts. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's for real like that, you know, it's, it's something to, to, I think it's instructive for, for us, you know, this idea that you could sort of hide the value of your land um, in, in a trust. I think that, that did pop over the pond and, and it, it informed the, you know, the, the beginnings of of the land trust movement, but it is absolutely the opposite of what happens now. Like this idea of the modern land trust was really began in the '70s with some folks in uh, in Boston um, that and in the West at the kind of at the same time that we're starting to think about ways that you know that you know there was so much land in private ownership. You know, the West in particular, I mean, there, there's lots of land that's owned by the federal government or by the state government, but but there are, you know, these gigantic ranches and how can you provide incentives really all across the nation to landowners that have this private land that has watersheds, rivers, wetlands, um, grasslands, um, you know, not only beautiful view sheds, but really important watersheds that are essential for our survival, human survival as a species, as well as, you know, protecting habitat for, uh, you know, for those who are not human. Um, that's the idea of a land trust really came into being in the 70s and 80s as, as a way, as a tool to um, work with these, you know, like-minded ranchers and farmers and landowners who really, who, you know, who, who, believe in protecting our not only our views but um our water and our our our, um habitat so um from that you know at that time uh land trust started popping up all over the country and uh and over the next you know couple of decades Mm -hmm. land trusts themselves started to 
um, develop their own set of standards and practices, sort of a you know, self-regulation through the Land Trust Alliance, which is an umbrella organization that, that the nearly 1,400 land trusts all over the country are a part of. Um, there are many, many, many land trusts um, all over the U.S. Uh, California, as you might imagine, has more land trusts than any other state. There are like almost 200, like 175 land trusts in in California. Um, uh, New Mexico has four uh, that operate uh, pretty um, actively. Us, uh, New Mexico Land Conservancy and Santa Fe, which is a statewide group, uh, Santa Fe Conservation Trust, uh, which we work with a lot there in Santa Fe. They uh, they hold an easement on land that we own because land trusts can not only hold easements, but they can own land themselves. Uh, and that's something that a lot of land trusts in uh, in the, the East do and, and really all over the country. But in the West, most land trusts sort of, you know, ha- just hold easements. But for uh, example, we own Rio Fernando Park. We own, we own Rio Fernando Park, which we're working on right now. We'll get more in detail of what that looks like. Uh, we own the Rio Hondo Fishing Park, which has an easement on it that's held by Santa Fe Conservation Trust. Um, we used to own another property uh, that had a an easement on it held by Santa Fe Conservation Trust. And now, and when we conveyed that land, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, um, that um, that easement went to us. So, you know, you can, uh, land trusts own land, they hold easements. There are many, many, many all around the country that do a lot of different things. The central element really is the easement, but that is not the only thing that land trusts do. And I, and I, I know we're going to talk about that later in the program, but you know, it is the sort of the, it is the backbone of a land trust is, you know, is this really remarkable tool that helps a landowner protect their land forever. Um, you know, and even though its beginnings were, slightly dubious. Um, I think that um, over time, and especially with uh, the Land Trust Alliance and um, so, sort of self-policing and developing standards and practices that allow um, a land trust to be really transparent about how it does its business, I think that's really, really important. That's allowed us to use this tool for a long time. Okay. So if I'm a landowner, let's walk through this process. If I'm a landowner and say I have 5, 10, 15, 20 acres that I'm considering putting in um, in trust with a conservation easement. First of all, what 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 are things that I might want to consider first before coming to to um, engage in that process? What would be the potential benefits and detriments that I would want to consider? So I would say it's important to consider your intended use of the land in in the future really i mean thinking both as yourself and beyond yourself in how will this land be both threatened in the future potentially and how how would i like both myself or my future family to be able to either inherit this land or have some kind of um vision for the perpetual sort of state of that land and how you would envision it being in its best state. Um, so kind of reflecting on where where you want your land to be in the future and then also what you're looking to do in the current moment. I mean, whether that's agriculture or whether it's building a home for, you know, 
children that may want to move back, keeping animals, uh, maybe looking at your water rights, making sure that, you know, those are going to be in in good good use for forever, that part of the easement is never separating the water rights from the land as well. So, um Right. So you're, so you're taking, you're, you're sitting down and you're thinking, what do I want to do with this land now? How do I envision it, um, in the future for either my kids? What might be some threats? Yeah. And, and maybe that's a good time then to approach Taos Land Trust because, you know, we love brainstorming these things through with landowners, making it really curated to, to the landowner needs as well as the landscape and the, the larger community of public benefit with it. Um, but really tailoring it to what you want kind of your process to be, whether you have um, endangered or threatened species or just special um, maybe habitat corridors for wildlife to travel through. Um, Looking at those and then working with folks at Taos Land Trust to kind of draw that up into a little bit of a skeleton framework. We'll so, so, it. so you can, so the, the private landowner can tailor the conservation easement to their particular needs. There's some latitude to, to, to create a, a an easement that suits what they want. There, yeah, there, there is latitude. You know, th- mm-hmm. there are some like must haves, like such as, you know, <laughs> Like you can't just build roads wherever you want, for right. instance. Uh, you know, you really have to have conservation values on the land, on the majority of the land, mm-hmm. really. You know, Maya brings up a hugely important point that you really need to vision what you want out of that land because this is longer than marriage. You know, this is forever, is forever and marriage. forever and ever. <laughs> uh, it's longer than your children's marriages and your children's children's marriages. Like, it's just, it's really, really important. It's very hard to break an easement we, um, or amend an easement. We, we um, discourage folks from doing that. So you really got to think about how your family is going to grow. Um, you know, if you have several children how, um, what that inheritance looks like. That's, right. that's mm-hmm. super, super important. You know, we, we've got an easement um, that's fairly large, a couple of hundred acres, where there are a, a number of home sites on it. They've not, they've yet to be built out. Right. Um, but there are, I don't know, like 10 of them maybe. But when, they, but when we wrote the easement and, and built it with, built that, this, this, this easement with them, we, we carved out, Build, with the landowner building, envelopes, building yeah. envelopes so that this particular person could have, I think it's for their kids. If we're talking yeah. about the same land, or their grand or their, their grandchildren. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they, you know, they, there are some restrictions on what that those houses look like on and we didn't put those restrictions on there. Um, they, they, that's the landowner just, did. Yeah. So, uh, so that's also important to think about is how, um, as you're thinking about your children's inheritance, your grandchildren's inheritance, we you know uh, land, land is so important to us, right? Land is what defines us as, you know, as Tausanos, um and as New Mexicans. And we, um, land is so meaningful. And, and so as we think about um, what to do with the land that was passed down from, from generations to generation, you know, it, it's, it's important to think about what future generations will do with that land. And I think that, so before you come to us, you really need to have a conversation with your family. We really encourage that to think about what those restrictions look like. Cause it's forever. 
right? We, and we will help you have those conversations. We can, we will help you answer questions. Okay. So in considering the development of a conservation easement, um, what are some of the financial benefits to consider? So it's based on the value of the development rights on that property. So taking that amount, you get, is it half, half the value of the development rights, what the development rights would be back as a tax credit and so from that's the an, state of New Mexico. That's an estimate, right? So if mm -hmm. I have, you know, five acres somewhere, 10 acres somewhere, and there's a, there's a, say it's closer to town and there's a large potential for eventual development, those, that estimate will be higher than say someone further out. Right. So, mm -hmm. so this is, this is typically how, how it works, you know, an appraiser and there are four, maybe I think there are four certified appraisers in the state of New Mexico that wow. the New Mexico State uh, Tax and Revenue Department recognizes um, as appraisers who can provide the adequate information to, to then give the uh, landowner uh, a tax credit. So the, and let me just back up for just a second. The state of New Mexico is one of just a few states that provide a tax credit to a landowner that is uh, putting a conservation easement on their property. Because every state runs conservation easements slightly differently, right? Well, yeah. And some states don't have any um, vehicle for providing uh, any sort of fiscal benefit. You know, there's a there's benefit, financial benefit from, a, from the landowner at the federal level. Level through a tax deduction. So, you know, you go through the process with us, you know, and we'll run through that process, or maybe we should just do it right now. Uh, you know, if you're a landowner, you want to put your land um, under easement, restricted development rights, you come to us, we visit with you, we visit with the land, we go through a process with our board, a couple of different steps in the process. We prepare a document that is then submitted to the state of New Mexico, again, one of just a few states that have a tax credit program, right? So that's money that's paid directly to you, either in the form of a tax credit that you take over, I don't know, 20 years, um, or um, you can sell that tax credit. So the initial process is we create a conservation easement deed that needs to be nearly 100% ready to go. Go ahead. Can I interrupt you? Um, I, I just want to step back and stick with stick with the, the cost benefits for, for a moment. Like sure. what are people considering? So so there's this tax benefit, this tax credit right. for for half of the Right. It is wholly based on what the appraiser says is the 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 donation of the easement. So the donation is the the donation of the de development rights. So he, the appraiser will look at the market value of the property if you developed it the way you, whatever the zoning allows you to do, and then if you take the development rights off of it, um, and that the the value of the land after you take the development rights on it is the value of the donation. Okay, so the state of New Mexico gives you half of the value of the donation, up to $250,000 if you're a single landowner or $500,000 if you're married, right? And then at the federal level, you, you also get to take the half of the value of the donation in the form of a tax deduction, which you can take over several years. Yeah. And, and also does taking the development rights off of the land restricting the development rights, does that lower the value of the land, which which then makes, say, taxes, local taxes, lower in the future? We're looking at that. Um, we have, for, and, and there, there's anecdotal evidence that 
indicates such. Okay. Right. Um, there, you still pay taxes. And I think that's also important is that, uh, protecting private land in this way, um, you know, does still keep that land on the tax rolls, Mm -hmm. but because you've reduced the, the, the value, um, it, it can sometimes result in, uh, lower taxes. We pay, um, very few taxes on the land that we own that has a conservation easement on it at Rio Hondo Park. There's public benefit. Um, we're never going to develop there. There's there are no houses there. This is land that's basically it is a park. So we but we do pay taxes on it. Minimal, but we do pay taxes on it. What are some of the costs to the landowner that the landowner needs to take into account when considering an, a conservation easement? Again, this is like a very, very long forever marriage. And it is, uh, it's not something that you go into very lightly. And it's not something, it's not a process that is um, very inexpensive. It can, it can be quite costly to the landowner. Um, there are financial benefits, but there are, there are some costs. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of different kind of long-term funds that are part of starting a conservation easement. The stewardship fund is what allows the land trust to monitor the property every year in perpetuity. So you're paying into the future um, sort of capacity of the, the land trust to be able to monitor and go and check out the property every year to make sure that none of the, the rights in the conservation easement deed are being violated. So is that an and upfront cost or is that something you that, pay every year? That is an upfront cost that okay. you, you pay it, you pay it upfront and it sits in a pot of money that will perpetually sort of fund the land trust's ability to do their due diligence of monitoring the property. And okay. that money is held now at the, at, at the Taos Community Foundation. And, and I do want to say that when we do that monitoring every summer, we, you know, we do have someone like Maya who goes out or Michelle Heinrich mm-hmm. who, who's, um, who's moved on, but she, she was also doing some of the, she didn't move on to like, she, she moved on to Boston. She didn't move on to, <laughs> sorry, Michelle, know, if you're listening, she didn't like pass over or anything. <laughs> anyway. Um, but we also have volunteers and, um, some of the youth conservation core crew go out there. So we, we really put the effort into keeping that a, a, a low cost. Mm-hmm. But then additionally, just as part of this upfront process, you know, the landowner can expect to pay for the appraisal. Um, surveys, doing a geology report. That's really important if your land still has the mineral rights attached to it. And so that is just, I think, in terms of the conservation easement, a liability. If you have mineral rights still with the land, there's a chance that those could be used. Like, yeah. Oh, if, like, they were, if, you, if your uh, mineral rights were separated from the land. Right. If yeah. they're separated, then there's no real risk of them being extracted, I guess, but you, you have to pay for a geology report in the case where you do have mineral rights still attached to the land to ensure that there is no real probable, I guess, reason for the minerals or any resources related to that to be extracted. Right. Um, And let's be clear about this, these appraisal and the survey. Um, this, because this is a very specific kind of appraisal, this is not like, you know, a house appraisal that could, you know, be, I don't know, six, six hundred to a thousand dollars. Uh, conservation easement appraisal is upwards of $10,000, uh, because they're, they're hard to do. 
Um, there are there are only a few experts who know how to do this. They rely on comps. They spend a lot of time trying to determine the value of land, and it's 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 very very hard to do. And there's an expertise that you know that is held by just just a few people. So that can be that can be very very expensive for the landowner. And the surveyor, this the survey is the same thing. It's um. You know, we're talking about lands that are sometimes really far away and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres. Uh, so that surveyor needs to uh, spend a lot of time finding the <laughs> finding those uh, those markers, establishing those markers, you know, looking at the legal um, description to determine where the boundaries are. That's really, really important for us. And we cannot record that conservation easement until we have a survey that is very clear. So in weighing out whether to do a conservation easement or not, you think about the land, you think about your family, um, you think about possible development pressures, financial benefits, financial costs, and you come in and you develop this framework with, with you guys specifically, because I just talk about stuff. You guys do the work. So, so what is the process then from then on out? Can you take about five minutes and walk us through that process? So then... Um once it's kind of set in motion that this is what the landowner wants to do, um, part of our role is establishing a baseline documentation report. And so um, that's one of my favorite parts is going out it's and the visiting part. the land. Right. Um, you're the land. really getting a, a solid understanding of what is happening on the land at the present moment and what species are around, um, the condition of the land just taking into consideration both what it has been used for um, and what the future projected uses of the land are, but really just getting a, a solid understanding of kind of what, what the land was like um, so that then future monitors, whether that's ourselves or someone who's never been to the land, can look back at this document and sort of gauge the change that's happened over time and have a better understanding of, you know, maybe the condition of the land has improved. Maybe there's new species that are coming back. Um, or maybe there's violations with, you know, the a land. A new road or something. Yeah, a new yeah. road or a, a cell phone tower or. Right. Which we must fight and defend. We must, we must defend our conservation easement, which is, right. and that legal defense is, is part of the stewardship fee that we collect at the closing of, a, of a, this process. You know, we, we put money into legal defense so that if there are violations, we know and we'll... We know. <laughs> we will prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. Um, how big does a, does a piece of land have to be to be put in easement? Um, it's a little wavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no real set... Uh, minimum acreage with um, with putting an easement on a piece of land, but I think in general for the state of New Mexico, anything less than ten acres isn't eligible for the tax credit. Yeah, it's, it's just there haven't been very many parcels that have been accepted for under ten, though, though there are a few. And I mean, I think we have to recognize also that um, it. it, it if you have a parcel that's like eight or nine acres in a place like Oro Hondo or Oro Seco, the value of that land is is much greater than you know land in Albuquerque um, or 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 in, in Santa Fe even. You know, with the water rights, you know, the land values are very high. So, um, 
you know, the state, I think, has shown some real promise in recognizing that in Taos, there are smaller acreages that are really, really valuable that have not only valuable sort of, you know, on the market, but really valuable in terms of water rights and habitat. Um, so so it's really, you know, it's really they've been a little bit more flexible recently. But in the past, there there were lots of projects that were rejected at the state level because they were smaller than 10 acres. So so right now, if I have, say, two acres along the Rio Fernando, three acres along the Rio Fernando, and I want to protect that riparian area from future development, the state would might look at that more favorably than they have in the past. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. Two acres is pretty small, you know. Even if it's yeah. even if it's riparian, Super, right along yeah. the river, uh-huh. uh, which means that we need to really be creative and think about ways in which we can protect those smaller acreages because of the way land has been divided in in our community. Um, you know, there th- that there that one acre parcel might be owned by one brother, and a two acre parcel might be owned by another sister. You know, we we need to think about ways in which we can protect chunks of land, and we haven't cracked the nut yet. Right. You know, we're, we're getting, we're getting there. Well, and, and, and likewise in the same vein is, is, you know, what if I have 10 hundred acres, but I don't have $10,000, $20,000 to put into it. Is there some sort of fund or could there be some sort of fund to help me, um, cover those costs those transaction costs in order to get, get the right. land into easement? Because I think that there's a lot of people out there who would want to put their land in easement. Right. They can't afford the cost. The, t- the, ben- the tax benefit is not necessarily their main goal. They're concerned about conservation. So is there a trade-off or how might that work? Well, let me just say like that it, the transaction costs are high. And some of the, the most vulnerable lands in, in our community um, are owned by folks who just don't have that kind of money. You know, we're talking about you know, at a minimum, a conservation easement is $20,000, you know, many, you know, with all told, you know, with all the things, you know, put together, you know, 30 to $40,000. That is simply out of reach for most of the the landowners in Taos County. Um, it's unacceptable to us. You know, we, we are really uh, encouraged by efforts at the state level to um, develop and support vehicles that allow for legislative um, opportunities for landowners to have some help there. That ha- that has existed. We have a vehicle for it right now, um, but it it's it's unfunded. Uh, some years ago, under Governor Richardson, uh, there was a pot of money, five million dollars, that was put into HB five. We call it the HB five money. Um, that that was money that Bill Richardson um, put in the budget to purchase the purchase easements outright with a qualifying entity. And in this case, it was the soil and water districts around the state um, where they would work with a land trust and a landowner to um, use state money to pay for all the transaction costs. So pay for the land trust work because, you know, there's also this fee that we have to charge, the conservation fee uh, that pays for Maya's time to to work on the the baseline document pays for the legal you know for for the you know the, our our legal team to to look at the document um, so that money that HP five money paid for the legal fees the conservation fee the stewardship fee all you know the appraisal the appraisal review the geologist report all those things were covered by the state um, and and then a landowner would still again still keep the keep their land but they would have an easement on it um, that. 
that vehicle has not been funded for years. And what are the possibilities of getting it funded again? I would like to say that they're really high. Um, I, I will I will say that there are folks now that have been working together for a couple of years, sort of unlikely bedfellows, soil and water districts and concert, you know, land trusts and the ranching community uh, working together to figure out ways that we can keep uh, ag lands in production and ways that we can make that happen. So, you know, there's some um, bills that are going to be introduced soon in the legislature um, that that deal with this that deal with this issue because you know in Taos we have such magnificent landscapes and such critical habitat for our community um, and lands that have been in family hands for hundreds and hundreds of years. And we need to do all that we can to ensure that those lands are um, are kept in production, that we can protect our viewsheds, but m- most importantly, I think protect the the watersheds and the water in this high desert community. Um, so one of our one of our missions not only is 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 doing these conservation easements, but it's also advocating for legislation that would make doing conservation easements easier. That's that's in our wheelhouse. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you know how the governor feels on any of this? Uh, I I I don't specifically about this uh, this kind a- of about legislation. About HB five. HB five. No, but I think it's I think it's something that um, we should be uh, advocating for uh, for for funding like this, especially as we have surplus from the extractive industries. We need to be very, very mindful of how we spend that money and how we invest that money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Maya, I want to take the last five minutes and talk about why, why a conservation easement is important. So I think we've done a pretty good job of getting through how it works and what it is, but why, why do it beyond, say, the, the tax credit? Well, numerous reasons, some of which we've touched on, but in my mind, climate change and the increasing just threat and uncertainty of what that will look like, especially for me as a young person from here, you know, I see the weather changing already in ways that I don't recognize from growing up here. Having some built-in resilience in our landscape of these big pieces of land or, you know, strategically conserved pieces of land that can hold more water in the high country or be sort of infiltrating more water if it's used for agriculture back into the groundwater. Just these ways that people will be able to continue using their land, but at the same time be recharging both our water sources and just a general connection to the land that I think is increasingly important in combating climate change that when you engage with the land and you really spend time with it and see the change you know in a as part of the baseline documentation you can get a general idea of where you're starting from and measure that change over time in a really meaningful way um, that then can help you make decisions for how you want to manage your land in the face of climate change Um, whether that's inviting different thinning projects onto your land. We love to partner and link people in the community with what's going on in ways that we can work together and collaborate on community land management, really. Um, So whether that's looking at fire prevention or 
ways to minimize more devastating fire, doing thinning projects, working with groups like Rocky Mountain Youth Corps. And what, what about if people want to farm? Say, I, you know, I have a piece of land, I'm, I'm too old to farm, or, or maybe I, have, I don't know how to do it, right. but I want my land in conservation easement and I want it in production. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So we've um, worked with sort of a pilot program that's getting started called Working Lands, and that um, it doesn't entail, you know, you don't have to put a conservation easement on your land to be part of this or to have the benefits of what the Working Lands program is aiming to do, but we certainly would be happy to link conservation easement owners or those interested in doing a conservation easement to do kind of a, a link with Maybe folks who can restore. Elders, yeah. yeah, elders who have land that can't work it. Um, with people who are interested in, in learning the ways of the land and getting to practice different farm techniques. and Yeah, and I think, I, I, was, I can't remember which place it is, but we have one easement where, along the Rio Fernando, where um, there, the, the easement owner is working with um, some younger farmers right. to... Yeah. Yeah, to to allow them to grow. And so they keep their, so, you know, the the land is in production. They keep their water rights. The water is put to the best use and they get to keep their ag status because they're they're, um, working with somebody who can help them um, keep their land in production. That's really, really important um, on the local level uh, to keep, uh, you know, to keep the special method evaluation, uh, which is really, really, really important here. I just wanted to give a quick shout out for the, the restoration um, aspect of, of all of this and how we can help you. You know, M- Maya uh, talked a little bit about it, but we, you know, we have seen rest- what restoration can do to land and what it does to people. Um, and let me cut in and yeah. say, you can also see that come down to Rio Fernando Park. <laughs> right. <laughs> Check out the work that we've done yeah. on, on, on our wetland. Yes, and not only on our wetland, but on the seven acres of land that had, that was fallow for fifty years or so. Right, right, and so that's what you can do. You can do that kind of really intense restoration project on a land that is protected under a conservation easement. We, in fact, we encourage it, and we will help you do it. In the last minute or so, um, what are some changes or improvements we want to make to this process? A funding structure. <laughs> Going back to Making that, it more accessible. Really, I mean it. Yeah. It is quite unfortunate the costs associated with something like this that definitely I have a hard time stomaching as well and you know how to justify this because all in all the model is something that has value and has a use in our community but the funding structure the funding pool is just it's out of reach this is a project these are projects that are out of reach that are out of reach for most folks and we need to we need to be really, really creative, not only finding money within the community to pay for those landowner transaction costs, but um, really push the state to invest in private lands in this way, which, you know, of course, have a value to the landowner, but really have a lot of public value, especially when it comes to keeping culture and maintaining a way of life for people who have been in this state for hundreds and thousands of years. Thank you, Christina and Maya, for coming on. And uh, drop by our website, which is www.taoslandtrust.org. Thank you. You've been listening to the Taos Land Trust Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Jim O'Donnell at the studios of KNCE 93.5 FM in Taos, New Mexico. Edited by Brett Tomadin. 
If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit www.tauslandtrust.org. This is Jim O'Donnell for the Taos Land Trust. Thank you for joining us.